0: Hello and welcome to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host, Roman Segal. In today's episode, I'll be talking about the pharma and biotech supply chain with Sara Lezina, Global Marketing Director for Pharma and Nutrition at Lonza. A multilingual international marketing leader, Sara Sarah has overseen global marketing and product line management for the capsule delivery solutions business at Lonza including the very well-known Capsigel brand. Hey, Sarah, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thanks, everyone. Hi. Um,
0: okay, just to, just to kind of start off, it'd be really good if you can give our listeners a little bit of uh, kind of background as to uh, who you are and, and obviously what you do at Lonza and more specifically uh, within the kind of Capsigel part of the business.
1: Sure, absolutely. Well, um, I'm Italian by birth, actually, but I've been living now in Belgium for over 11 years and I've traveled... Uh, the world. I've lived and worked in Finland and Brazil. and Somehow I happened to to find myself uh, into Belgium. And uh, actually, I, I haven't always been in the pharma world. I came from the B2C into the B2B industry, into the food and nutraceutical business. And then I decided to step into pharma um, for two main reasons. Uh, one, I through my MBA studies, I realized I wanted to change industry to get into an industry that would challenge me and would make me grow but i also was looking for purpose i was looking for an industry that would really give me that extra sense of value and mission of doing something that makes an impact and certainly pharma is one of those industries so yeah i just wanted to uh, to have the opportunity to start working for lanza i've been there now for almost three years as a marketing director and like you said actually i came into uh, an interesting time because it was right at the time when Lonza acquired the Capsigil brand. And so that has been a very interesting journey for me, the team, the entire Capsigil team of being integrated into Lonza, such a wonderful, I must say, uh, progressive, professional pharmaceutical company coming from actually um, a very much commodity product type of business. So it was really an interesting journey for us as marketeers to see how could we transition that? How could we keep the equity and the value of the capsule brand, which is widely known in the capsule industry, both in pharma and nutrition? Uh, However, how could we transition that into the broader umbrella of who Lonza is and all the the, the, the broader service offering that Lonza is uh, uh, delivering to the market? So um yeah, it's been a great journey so far. I have a great team uh, international uh, we cover all the three regions uh, Asia Pacific uh, Europe Middle East and Africa and the Americas so it's a very diverse and very fun job
0: and what 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 I really love about your background is you talk about the diversity in the places that you've worked you mentioned obviously you're from Italy and uh, live in Belgium and I think you mentioned you've worked in Finland and Brazil and you've also got uh, what I've classed as a more diverse kind of career background and that you haven't followed that uh, traditional route into pharma so I'm kind of just curious to know how does that I suppose diversity of experience and cultural enrichment maybe how does that kind of benefit you in terms of how you go about your day-to-day job and, and probably just your general outlook in life
1: well, I think it gives you flexibility, agility, um, openness because you are exposed to different ideas and different ways of doing business. So you kind of get to pick what works best for you as an individual, for the team and for the brands that you need to manage. So I think actually that diversity that you referred to is an absolute asset. And I recommend it to, to everybody on my team to try and do something different every day or something different for their career if they have the opportunity. Um, I oftentimes think that we could get stuck in doing things the way we've always been doing them. And if it's proven success, it's great. Um, We also know the world is changing and it's changing at a faster pace than ever. So it's important, I think, to keep that agility of mindset and, and flexibility to really think outside the box. And you can do that, I think, a bit better if you have had the opportunity uh, and chance to work with different people in different sectors, trying and failing, actually, in different ways.
0: (laughs) I love that. And I have to ask, what was it like? Tell me the contrast between Brazil and Finland, because they strike me as two very different places. Oh, they're
1: the opposite. The absolute (laughs) opposite. Um, Well, that was a long time ago. So Finland, I absolutely loved it. It's... um, It's a beautiful country, it's very nature-oriented, it's extremely well-organized, the quality of life is very high, and people are extremely disciplined, but very shy. So, in Italian, I'm kind of a Latin personality, I'm very outgoing, I'm an extrovert, so it was a bit of a challenge, I think, at the time to engage with the locals, because on top of the language barrier, of course, they had a completely different way of relating to people than I did, so that was really the first. Way of saying, okay, how can I get connect with them without overwhelming them with my Italianness? You know, um, Brazil is kind of it was the opposite. I went there right after Finland. Actually, I didn't even move back to Italy. I went straight to Brazil, and they're the opposite. They're extremely outgoing, very warm people, generous. They pull you in and make you feel like family after two days. So there, I really felt a bit like I was the Finnish, um, and. So I don't know. I think it gave me a nice, a nice balanced outlook on life, and and really being able to enjoy all kinds of personalities around me. Um, and I get to be a bit of a chameleon, actually. So I, I could pick the Finnish side, Finnish sides that I like the most, and the Brazilian sides that I like the most, and combine them into something that would work well for me. That's
0: that's good. I'm very jealous, I have to say. <laughs> of, uh... Not, not only are you from uh, not only are you from the, the country which I think I adore more than any in the world, but you've uh, you've had great opportunities. I have to ask the question because you how many how many languages do you
1: speak um, um, these days? Six for the time being. I'm working on my Dutch living in Belgium, um, but I, I certainly cannot kind of claim that I, I, you know that I speak Dutch. so I'm um, still a lot of work to do on that one. That
0: is very, very impressive, I have to say. Um, and one thing I was going to ask you about is when I was researching uh, kind of your, some of your background prior to the interview, there's a there's a photograph on your LinkedIn profile of you. I think you, it looks like you're speaking uh, at a conference. So I was just kind of curious to know what, what that event was and what you were talking about at that at that particular conference
1: oh yeah so actually that's the annual commercial conference that capsugel used to hold every year at the beginning of the year um i think that was, that year was in berlin and it's uh, a okay thing. um everybody comes together into a location and it's not only the commercial folks it's all the functions we all get together into one location and we go through um three to four days of program but it's a mixed program we do a lot of content we also do a lot of fun in team building. And I think it's been one of my favorite things of working at Lanza um, so far, because not only gives you the chance to engage one-to-one with people, uh, people you've only worked with uh, through Skype or via email. Uh, and once you build that connection, it will be much easier to get work done. It will be much more fun. And, you know, you, you just enlarge your network. Um, but also I think it gave us the chance to really cover some relevant content in a fun and easy, accessible way. So I think at that time when I was speaking in that photo, I think we were just doing like um, uh, a competition. Um, I think it's called the war room, if I'm not uh, mistaken. But essentially, you uh, you have to basically put yourself in the shoes of your competition. So okay. we divided the group into, into groups. Uh, I think it was around 10 to 15 groups. And each got the profile of a key competitor of of Lonza, and they had a challenge. So they had to really think how they could kill Lonza or Capsugel at the time. <laughs> so really think strategically: what can we do to become number one? Given that Capsugel yeah. historically and Lonza they are leaders in their market. So yeah, really, it was great. It was great, and I think at the at first people were a bit, um how can I say?
0: Skeptical. i
1: know yeah, they, they were a bit shy they were not sure what we were trying to do but you you could see the energy shift in the room and by the end of that day they had such great ideas and such momentum and then it was a competition so somebody had to win right and it was fantastic i i don't know this just the energy and the ideas we unleashed through that through that session I, I will always have it with me that's why I, I put the picture there it will it's such a great memory
0: and, and therein lies one of the reasons I was really keen to get you on as a guest because of your kind of creative and marketing kind of background. And obviously as a marketeer, I, I appreciate kindred spirits. And even for our listeners, uh, that, that insight there I think is great. Is it, it's actually a really interesting marketing technique and a sales technique to to go through that process where you effectively attack your own brand and you look for the weaknesses in your own brand. I'm, I'm guessing that was the kind of general premise. And, Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> And it really thinks it makes you think about how do we overcome some of these challenges and how do we communicate some of these things, which I think thinks great. And you you've recently taken over uh, the kind of nutrition part of 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 your role as well. So again, it'd be really quite useful to just to find out kind of how how different are the kind of the two divisions that you that you now oversee. Are they similar in some ways? Are they are they different?
1: Yeah, so I think that's funny that, that you mentioned that because, as I said, I actually came from that world into pharma. So after three years, I feel like I'm going back to my roots, if I can say that. Uh, it's a different industry, of course, but the principle remained the same. It's a very uh, much more consumer minded industry. Uh, so you need to, from a marketing standpoint, you need to pay a lot more attention to consumer trends, to what consumer want, and you get to be a lot more creative, if I can say so, from a marketing standpoint. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, as I said, it's it's a return to origins in a way, but uh, at the same time, what we're uh, offering to the market is the same product, right? Yeah. So it's really a nice challenge. How are you going to um, mm-hmm. carve out that space from such a prominent equity that the brand has uh make sure that you stay relevant both in pharma and nutrition in different ways in ways that really yeah. speak to your customers and speak to the end users or patients on the pharma side and consumers on the nutrition side
0: mm-hmm. oh, very good and you, you mentioned a word which i know that earlier on, kind of around diversity and uh, i think you encouraged others to think about diversity and how have you found like you are we're one of the few guests that I've had the opportunity to speak to who are, you know, senior female within the kind of CDMO space. And so kind of just interesting to know how you found being, uh, you know, obviously uh, a female in such a uh, senior role within a kind of global pharma business. And, you know, thankfully we're seeing more of those types of roles being created in the sector, but what challenges, not obviously specific to Alonzo, but what challenges have you seen, or and particularly any advice that you've got for, for other women that are looking to build careers and get to senior levels within within the pharmaceutical sector?
1: Yeah, you're right. There actually, there has been a shift and it's an ongoing shift, luckily. So we see a lot more women appointed to senior management positions in the industry. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It's been historically dominated by, um, by men. So, um, well, challenges, I think... I was reading the other day a very interesting um, article about the Prime Minister of New Zealand, and she, uh, she gave a comment, she had a quote saying that um, actually it's really a chance to carve out a new type of leadership. Um, new in the sense that it doesn't necessarily mean that it's better, but it is different. And the fact that it is different may unlock Areas of growth that we didn't think about before. Um, there is not one type of leadership only, right? I mean, when you go to business school, of course, you you go through your textbooks and you you know you you learn how to manage a business and you learn what to do, what not to do. You go kind of through the uh, the entire drill. But I think what women in the in senior positions so far have shown um, is that you can certainly lead with a different flair and a different pace. And that will, I'm not saying it yield better results, but it will yield different results that you wouldn't have had access to. If you were stuck with, I would say, the traditional way of doing things. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I on, honestly, if I have to be honest with you, I rarely think about my gender <laughs> when I work. And, I that's probably, and that's luck. It means that around me I'm supported, you know? Um, because I I don't have to struggle. Uh, I don't have to think about that. I'm not confronted with that. At the same time, given that I'm responsible for a a team, a very diverse team, and actually the team I lead is composed by at least 70% women, um, Mm -hmm. who I think, and and therein lies your responsibility as a manager, Um, given that they're all very young, very ambitious, extremely driven, extremely talented young women. That's where you can make change for the future you can give them opportunities
0: it's awesome that's really good and what what types of um opportunities are you ever able to give them or what type of advice is there a, is there kind of common threads to the type of advice you're giving some of the the female kind of uh smart the smart female leaders within your team
1: um no i wouldn't say there's there's a one size fits all i really <laughs> believe in uh, managing people in the way they would need to be managed or they want to be managed so and they're all very different from each other um so the only common thing they have is that they're all millennial women right but beyond okay. that they're very different personalities with different talents and skill sets so i think in terms of opportunities first and foremost given um given them a f- very safe and free space or coming up with ideas being able to fail in a controlled way um, not being afraid to advocate for themselves and for the ideas that they come up with and, you know, just being bold. Um, and then of course opportunities to, you know, get a stretch role or training and any kind of development that they want to go for, we go through that path together. Um, and I think, again, it's not really a gender thing. It applies to, to every team member in my team. I mean, We tend to be very hierarchical in large companies simply because that's how corporations are built, right? However, and I was reading a very, very interesting book the other day, which I recommend, by the way, called Humanocracy, if you haven't read it yet. And it's brilliant. And it's advocating for making workplaces more humane by creating flatter organizations, self-managing and self-directing teams that will create higher engagement, higher purpose. And ultimately, better results. So, I think that's a little bit what we try to do with the team. You know, cut the layers, make sure that they feel engaged, supported, give them opportunities, safe space to fail, and then they will wow you. They they will wow you. You,
0: I love I love what you say about you know, kind of space to fail and and it's okay to fail. And I think you mentioned earlier on in the conversation as well. Do you? I mean, I've, one of the things I'm trying to unlock with this podcast is kind of showing how leaders like yourself. Are not always perfect. They do, they have flaws within their makeup, and actually, they make mistakes. And you know, are there any are there any kind of mistakes that that you've made in your career that you'd be willing to share, or actually, uh, any skills or uh, competences that you're continually working on? You know, I I I use always, always use the example of myself that I'm very easily distracted, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'm you know I'm constantly working on, uh, you know, trying to focus and it's hilarious because my kids have exactly the same trait as I have and my wife's screaming saying they're exactly like you. Um, so, yeah, anything, anything that you were able to share on, uh, you know, kind of things that you got wrong and that you've learned from and also things that you're always working on and, and trying to improve?
1: I make a lot of mistakes. I happy to make many um, Actually, my father used to say when I was a kid that a wise man uh, makes seven mistakes a day on average. And I, I'm sure I do I many, many, many more than those. Um, no, I think, I mean, we are all on a on a path, on a journey, right? So every day is learning. Um, mistakes. I've oh God, I've done, I've made so many. I mean, again, think about coming into a different industry. So I came into pharma from from an like ingredients, food, and nutrition business. So I made so many mistakes by addressing maybe the wrong challenges in the right way or the right challenges in the wrong way. I've made a ton of mistakes with my team, so I, I really hope that they've forgiven me now after three years for everything I've done wrong. Um, I think it's just the fact that it's impossible not to make mistakes. So I think you shouldn't put that kind of pressure on you. You should be again create a space for yourself where you know you can do trial and error, uh, you can experiment and you know, failing is actually the first attempt in learning. That's my acronym. Um, so, by making these mistakes of, as I said, um, taking the pharma business with a nutrition hat on, or taking a very B two C approach to a very B two B world, or not focusing enough maybe on uh, some strategic areas, some strategic growth areas that we could have unlocked earlier if we had paid more attention, if I had paid more attention. So these are all things that I I, I will take with me for the next roles in the future. And I know, I mean, the next role I get, I will make so many mistakes again. So I just think you need to be comfortable with that as long as you make sure that you have people around you who will support you throughout and they will also probably make sure that these mistakes are not fatal. Um, and that's what I'm saying. I, I've been so blessed with relying on on my team. Um, yeah, yeah.
0: I, lo- I love what I love what you said there, and I took it uh, if I've corrected, cr- written it down correctly. You know, failing is the first attempt at learning. So
1: yeah.
0: I'm going I'm definitely gonna steal that off you and plagiarize it. So that, nice. that's a that's a great great soundbite.
1: You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space.
0: I have to ask you about marketing, obviously, because that's your core area of expertise. And mm-hmm. um, so I've got a few questions around this area just because, you know, I think you bring such a great perspective. How, when you when you came into the sector for the, I suppose, in the pharmaceutical sector, what was your view on, I suppose, the way um companies in the sector particularly on the supplier side so you know manufacturers um research development companies equipment companies how they market themselves and how what what was your view on that and were you surprised by anything or anything like that just really curious to kind of get your take on what your what your initial thoughts were
1: um as a pure marketeer and not a scientist as a background i was certainly surprised uh, and impressed by how technical everything uh marketing was and that's fine that's great because indeed actually you're talking to r&d you're talking to very very smart technical people so you need to be able to speak the same language you need to be able to address their challenges um in a way that is not trivial you know um however i also thought um that we could freshen it up a little bit. We could bring a little bit of that B2C there uh, by bringing back a focus on the products, on the brand, the core values of the brand. What are the overarching key messages that we can bring across? Because we also wanted to target commercial, not only the technical uh, at our customers. And if you think about actually all the decision makers and influencers you have, in pharmaceutical customers. It's not one person, one function that makes the ultimate decision, which product to use, right? So you'll have to constantly, constantly work at different layers and different kinds of consensus messaging. So that was my first impression. And again, through many mistakes and learnings, um, we actually turned it into a lot more commercial focused B2C marketing, if I'm allowed to say that. because we really wanted to to make it sticky. We wanted people, our customers, to really think about us as a top of mind. Like they, you wake up in the morning and like you need a, a capsule. Who do you think about capsule gel? Why? Because of these three reasons. And then you, uh, we wanted a very clear, sticky visual identity that you could not mistake what we were selling. You know, what is it that you get from us? And then, of course, if you peel away, there's so many more layers and you can, of course... Uh, share all the breadth of technical knowledge Lanza has. I mean, we have wonderful scientists, wonderful biochemists, polymer scientists. So we then, of course, continue to put them in the spotlight and share all this wonderful technical knowledge. But the first the first gate, you know, of getting to us, we certainly with the team try to make it a lot more marketing-minded.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. and And also, what was your learning curve like so coming into the sector without without that kind of pharma background there's a lot of people that i suspect are put off by careers in the sector because it's kind of too daunting so how did you how did you go about kind of learning about the industry and technology equipment the terminology the millions of acronyms (laughs) that we have
1: well it was a crash course actually for i would say the, the first year I had to just simply immerse myself into everything. And I had the luck of having very supportive R&D colleagues uh, who didn't mind training me and, you know, onboarding me and and sharing their wisdom and knowledge with me. And I will be forever grateful for that. Um, You need to be curious. You need to really want to be a sponge and learn and understand as much as you can. Knowing that, of course, as I said, if you're not a biologist or a biochemist or a chemical engineer by... By training, you will probably not get there um, in the span of a year, you know, um, but you don't need to. That I, I firmly believe, and again, I can, this can be one of my seven mistakes a day, but I firmly believe that to be a good marketeer, you don't need to be the technical expert because you have technical experts around you and they are the ones who have the knowledge and you have to make them shine. You just need to kind of enable that conversation you need to enable the messages to be received by your audience and that's the true nature of the marketeer right yeah
0: um, oh i mean that's music to my ears as you can imagine <laughs> and i always one of our first ever clients i remember I always remember something she said to me um we, i was on site and i had to say no oh, in the sciences oh you know we could look at getting a scientific writer or something like that to help out and she's like She's like, no, I don't need a scientist. I've got 50 scientists. Yeah. I need someone to actually make some sense of this and actually make it, you know, palatable for my audience. Yeah. And it always stuck with me. That was she, she was like, I don't need more scientists. I've got enough of those. We need people to do exactly what you've said there, which I think uh, which I think is a great point. And what what just on the theme of marketing, what's been what are some of the things that are working well at like Capsagel and any any kind of observations of Mistakes and things that you see in the sector, and a lot of the companies uh, and, and, and professionals that will listen to our podcast are in the sector and are always curious to know what's working and what you know what to not waste their money on is there anything any insight you can give on on that without obviously divulging too much <laughs> confidential information but even from a general background you obviously you've got a, a rich b2b uh, kind of technical marketing background as well so mm-hmm. stuff that's working would be would be i'm sure really insightful for our audience
1: i must say it's difficult to answer that question right now because of the the times we're living with the, the, <laughs> because actually that kind of threw the, the rule book out the window. A little bit. We, we have deployed a, a wide range of marketing tactics across the years. Uh, some have worked better than others, of course. It, on, on a general level, I must say anything where you're engaging with your customer, be that in real life through experiential initiatives, virtual, uh, or any kind of content development that gets straight into them, uh, that worked well. You know, uh, that certainly delivered a lot of return. It created that bridge and that bond and enabled our sales force to get the message across better, um, which is also a key function of marketing. I'm not saying marketing is supporting sales only, but it is certainly unlocking a lot of great things for sales if they work together well. However, on the COVID side, um, I. We quickly realized with my team that we were, if we were to apply the same tactics and techniques right now in the situation, it was almost as if we were trying to fix new world problems with old world solutions. Right? So, and I'm not saying we have all the answers. We're still experimenting. We're trying different things. Uh, It is difficult to bridge that gap if you don't get to see your customers on a regular basis and engage with them as you used to. But that, I guess that also gives us the chance to rethink the space a little bit, um, yeah. freshen it up, bring in technology a lot more into marketing. And yeah, I don't know, maybe maybe we'll open the world to uh, co-activities, co-marketing, building things together in a virtual space. As I said, we're still experimenting. We don't really have all the answers, but I think it's really interesting to ask yourself these questions right now. Now that yeah. we have somehow the time to think about it because we're not all running through, you know, the next trade show or the next product launch or the next big meeting, you know, so it's, it's really, really interesting to ask yourself the question.
0: It's really interesting. I, I, I wrote down, I think I, I wrote down correctly, saying, you know, kind of trying to fix new world problems with old world solutions or old world tools. I think that's a fantastic soundbite for the, transition that companies are going to have to make not just at a marketing level but i think just at a operational and business level i mean I, I certainly see businesses adapting and changing very quickly because this is not the world we are we are used to living in so i think that's a really really good point and and, and we've got i've got another five or so minutes of your time left so i i want to crash through a few more questions and get as much information out of you as possible so um, If you could go back and give your 25-year-old self some advice, what what would you say?
1: That's a great question. Um, My 25-year-old self was, I think, just moved to Brazil. (laughs) So um, what would I say? Uh, Take more risks. Be more bold. um, Start working on anything you can get your hands on. Uh, engage with people, do not be shy, do not be afraid of looking like a fool and probably try to find earlier on where I wanted to go. Uh, You know, so maybe kind of I would give myself a couple of tips on what kind of industry or career path I could take and start building, you know, brick by brick um, that destination. And also maybe have a bit more fun. I used to be and still am quite, you know, a little bit of a geek Um, (laughs) so I think I studied a lot, I worked a lot, I just, you know, like, and so just maybe I would, I would tell my old self to have a bit more fun.
0: Especially in Brazil as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And
0: how, how would your best friend describe you in in three words?
1: My best, it's actually funny because I'm going to see her tonight for drinks, so I'll ask her that, um, we see if I got it right. (laughs) Uh, I think she would define me as energetic, um, dynamic, fun, um, strong-headed. Very strong-headed, very stubborn. Good combination. (laughs) I'll let you be the judge of that. (laughs) And then for the
0: final few questions, I just wanted to kind of circle back to some of the things we talked about at the start in terms of the outsourcing space that, that we both work in. What, what kind of major shifts and trends are you guys seeing right now and you know particularly from the perspective of a global business and a global brand like that you manage at capsagel mm-hmm. uh, any any real trends that you're seeing uh, would be i'm sure the listeners would be really uh, you know get great value over any insights that you've got
1: yeah again as as i said think about covid so now everything's kind of flying out the window but I think anything has to do with um, personalization. It's a bit of a buzzword, uh, not only in pharma um, or nutrition, in, in several industries. Yet, any kind of survey, ethnographic survey, voice of customer we do, it always come back to to. It always comes back to that personalization. So, I think patients, consumers, people like you and I will appreciate having solution for healthcare and well-being that are tailored to them. Now, will it be easy to accomplish? Absolutely not. Um, I think the way the outsourcing space is set up is certainly, it's extremely operationally efficient, right? But then you kind of need to think how you can carve out a space where you can then kind of forget about the efficiencies and economies of scale and really think about personalization, thinking about how can I have my um, my customers and my my patients get something that is exactly what they need right at the time when they need it. And, you know, th- th- there's no oversight needed. And that will be a huge help also for the healthcare professionals, by the way. Another thing that they keep telling us uh, is we need a way to help our patients get their... Uh, their medicines or get their solutions without always having to kind of check in on them you know so it's a really big topic we we are doing some work on that uh, at Lonza and you know it's probably a concerted effort I must say I don't think necessarily one company alone can achieve a solution and I think it would be great to see kind of like a consortium um, with different companies, you know, yeah. getting their brains together and thinking a bit outside the box, how can we get this done? So this is, and, and you will not find this from me. I mean, this is a huge trend in the industry, right? But I, I, I would feel certainly as an as a appalling marketeer if I didn't mention that because it is impacting us a lot and it's some, um, it's given us a lot of thought on how can we shape our strategies for the future.
0: Yeah, I, I really, there's a theme there coming through around kind of collaboration and partnership is you know there's a kind of is part of new world ways of doing things which i think is a really interesting point and i did, i was going to move on to the final question but one thing i was going to ask you about completely nothing to do with the sector but a little birdie tells me that you're a real foodie is that true
1: it is yes that's absolutely true yeah
0: <laughs> so i i'm guessing that comes from your um obviously origins back in back in Italy is that just always been part of of your makeup being a real fan of you know food and wine
1: I guess so I mean I think the minute I was born I was very much into food um and I I was so lucky to have a father who um though not a professional chef um because he did something else for a living he had this true passion inside him so he was experimenting all the time and Trying different dishes and and trying exotic things and I don't know just being next to him and seeing his passion kind of I guess he transmitted that passion to me Um, Mm -hmm. so I don't know it's also also living abroad not being in Italy not being close to my family probably focusing on food cooking experimenting really paying attention to the different flavors and, and the provenance of the origins of the food kind of probably makes me feel closer. Mm-hmm. roots um, also fun fact um, my family does own a very small vineyard in Italy so I guess you know it really is in my genes it is in my blood um, I, I yeah I, I, I started a couple of uh, years ago um, a concept slash company called winosophy mm-hmm. which of course now I don't have time to take care of it because of it. <laughs> uh, it is very much focusing on wine but not in a in the typical snobbish way where you know you have to have a pedigree of ten years of classes to be able to to understand and, and, and drink a glass of wine. So it is really about these are the simplest, most authentic things for us as human beings. Connecting with food if this primal. Right. <clears> Thing <throat> with wine or it is really back to Earth, back to back to uh our ancestors. And so I don't know, that fascinates me. It is a way also in which I show the people I care about that I love them, you know, taking that yeah. time to think and to source and to cook and prepare and share with them. So yeah. <laughs> I'm
0: glad I'm glad I asked you that question now because that was uh that was lovely and I think uh you know, if you want to send me a bottle from your family's vineyard, vineyard, that would be <laughs> much appreciated. <laughs> it's
1: an function only, but I'll, I'll do my best.
0: <laughs> I um on on the on that point, actually, just a little kind of side story uh where we live in Boston um there's a a couple that live opposite us and we kind of wave at each other all the time without obviously being too close to each other and um he he dropped off a bag he came around about a week ago and he just dropped off a bag and he said oh just a little gift for you your wife and your family and uh and I opened up and there was three bottles of wine in there and he told me that his brother owns um a winery or runs a winery in California. And he had like, he had a shipment come in and we always wave and we're very friendly as a family. And he just said, oh, look, just wanted to do something nice during this, you know, pretty awful time, which I just thought was uh, a really nice thing to do. So that kind of human connection that food and wine has, uh, it absolutely made up, made my day anyway. So Um,
1: I will ask you, uh, what's your favorite wine? I have to ask.
0: So I'm a bit, I I have to say I'm, I'm more of a beer man, but I have, but I mean, if I, if I have a glass of wine, it'll always be a Malbec. Generally, oh, like I love, I love deep, kind of red, dark, plummy, just you know, rich wine. Especially kind of in the winter time, um, that's kind of my my go-to. All the the bottles that they dropped off. Um, there's a bottle of rosé that's in the fridge, which I think I'm gonna have to have to sample tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um, and my wife, and my wife's pregnant as well, so it's it's a perfect oh. situation for me. Oh, so wow. I. <laughs> So I'm, I'm individually taking them all down. So, um, just fi- final question, I suppose. Have you got any other comments or requests? Or uh, you've also given us a couple of really great sound bites. So, any other quotes that you you live your life by um, that that and the audience would find uh, would find of use? Um,
1: oh, that's a good question. I don't have any quotes at the top of my head. I mean, it just comes through, <laughs> through the natural conversation, you know no I, that's fine i'm not
0: yeah. i'm not going to put you on the spot and well i mean obviously thank you so much for your time and you've given um me and and our listeners to molecule to market some really really great insights in in terms of a range of different things but I, I suspect people will be really interested in some of the things you talked about you know in terms of personalization and engagement and uh, i love what you talked about in terms of diversity and openness and boldness i think there's some really key insights for people developing a career in the sector so thank you so much for making the time and and for being a guest
1: thank you it's been my pleasure and thank you for uh, allowing me to be your guest
0: hi again thanks so much for tuning in to molecule to market we hope you enjoyed today's episode you can find more shows on spotify apple podcast or wherever you like to listen Get in touch with us on our website, MoleculeToMarketPod.com, and follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter, and we will see you again next week.
1: Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.